Okay. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm often amazed uh, when I get sick of watching some game on the television, sporting game of some description, and you think, oh, well, there, it's all over, I'm going to bed. And then you wake up the next morning and you discover on the news that the team that you uh, would have liked to have won the game, who were going terribly badly, one by one point or one by 20 points or something like that, and you think, how did that happen? How did I miss that at all? Whether it's uh, any sport that you can dream up, that sort of thing happens, doesn't it? We're not having anything to do with sport tonight, but we're going to look at the fact that sometimes uh, life turns out differently than we expected. And even when we read the scriptures about the lives of others, we sometimes see that it turns out differently for them as well. And as we look at these Old Testament figures, we're tracing the beginning of God's covenant activity with his people. The beginning, remember, of that. You see, all this finds its fulfilment in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and in the people of Christ, people such as us, who by faith in Jesus Christ are the spiritual children of Abraham. Though they were unique in the role that God gave to these people that we've been looking at in Old Testament times, they're actually just ordinary human beings like us. And what happened to them serves as both a warning and an encouragement to us to uh, reflect upon uh, their lives in such a way that we say, well, uh, how could that impact upon me? What do I learn about relationship with God, about God himself and what he's doing and about all the things that he plans. And this is particularly true of Isaac, whose story we're looking at tonight. Isaac is unique in that he is the only child of Abraham and Sarah. So that makes him the child of promise, doesn't it? Even though there was another child born before him, it was with a slave girl, and uh, he ends up uh, receiving a blessing of God from his father, Abraham, but he's sent off uh, out of uh, the family on his way. So what is uh, very ordinary about this man is really extraordinary. Because like us, he's an ordinary human being who's been created in the image of God. And he's a child of the promise as, uh, as we are. But he's also a very uh, fallen person. Because he has fallen from that innocence that he had when he entered into our world. Yes, God did deal with uh, him in uh, special ways because he was part of God's salvation history. But in another sense, God's dealings with Isaac are typical of God's dealings with us because God is the same God and we're the same kinds of human beings as he is. So let's start at his early promise in his life. 
His childhood, as you recollect, Isaac would have learned from Abraham and Sarah the circumstances surrounding his birth. How God called them to leave their home and to follow him to the land that he had promised to give them. How they named him Little Laughter, which is what his name means. Isaac, Little Laughter. And how he received descendants. And how that was uh, you know, a, a sort of fulfilled with a covenant sign of circumcision when he was eight days old. And how it was going to be through him and not his brother Ishmael that God's promises were to be fulfilled. And how he was living evidence of the faithfulness of God in keeping his promise. I think we can say assuredly that Isaac was not ignorant of any of those things because his parents would have told him all about it. You may remember from last week, if you were here, his, pers- his uh, preservation that occurred. We read in chapter 22 of Genesis. He was probably now in his teens when he was involved in the testing of his father Abraham. And uh, we read in uh, Genesis 22, 1 and 2 that God told Abraham to take his son and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that God would tell him. And although he was only a young teenager, he understood enough to see what was going on around about him. It was Isaac who turned to Abraham and asked him where the lamb for the burnt offering was. Not the servants who had come with them as well, but it was this young man who asked his father that. And surely, um, as Isaac grew up, he could never have forgotten those moments of utter horror when it dawned upon him that he was to be the sacrifice And just for a moment, imagine what it must have been like to be lying there on that altar, on the wood that was going to burn you, on your father actually lashing you to that particular altar, and then pulling out this sharp knife and starting to head towards you to plunge it into you. Well... You also could never have forgotten how in the nick of time the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham's hand and told him that there was a ram over in the thicket over there. That is to be the sacrifice. And so Isaac is saved with the appearance of a ram as a substitute for him. I wonder how often he reflected upon those things as he grew up, as we may reflect on particular incidents in our own lives. Well, we heard there in uh, chapter 24 uh, about the circumstances leading up to his marriage. Isaac was about 40 years old and still unmarried, and Abraham determined that Isaac should not choose a wife from the Uh, Canaanite heathen people around him but rather go to his uh, family 
his God-fearing relatives back in Mesopotamia. And so Abraham sent his trusted servant north and God was very active in the choice and the beautiful and unselfish Rebecca became identified as the bride that God had chosen for Isaac. And their story is a great example of a faithful marriage. <clears throat> and we're told in Genesis 24, 63, that it was Isaac's custom to go into the fields in the cool of the evening to meditate. And perhaps as he worshipped God there, he reflected on these events and what they held for the future. And of course, his promise-keeping God in whom he trusted. That's the good part out till, up till now. But, sadly, Isaac later on compromised. Compromised the things that had been part and parcel of his knowledge of what uh, his relationship to God was leading up to this particular time. You see, once again, same for his parents. 20 years pass and Isaac and Rebecca had no child as was promised. How will God's promise be fulfilled if they remain childless? Isaac kept praying for his wife because she was barren. And in due time, God answered and she conceived. But she had great difficulty in her pregnancy because she was carrying twins and as they grew they struggled within her chapter 25 verse 22 it was actually a prelude of what was coming and so Rebecca inquired of the Lord and uh, he revealed something very important to her let me read Chapter 25, verses 23 onwards. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. <clears throat> so here it is, another twist in the tale in God's dealings with these people. You see, God's plan for their heir was made known to them very clearly by God himself. That is, God's promise to Abraham is going to be fulfilled not as might have been expected through the firstborn son Esau to Jacob and Rebekah, uh, sorry, to Isaac and Rebekah, but um, rather it was going to be through Esau. No, I told you the wrong thing, didn't I? I'm just seeing if you're still awake after a week of doing all that stuff. It was who? Jacob. Jacob. That's correct. Very good. So, you think that uh, after 60 years of divine schooling, uh, Isaac would know that God is the sovereign ruler of all things, including our lives. He's the sovereign ruler of history. He's the song, what do we sing? He's the God of everything. 
Or was that this morning that we sang that? I think it was this morning. It's all blurred into one, isn't it? So here he is. He knows what he's doing and he intends to do it. And what's he going to do? Well, he plans to derail the plans of God. You see, Isaac had, uh, had that 60 years to learn the lesson that you could not divert God from carrying out his purposes. But Isaac never believed that message. He rejected the revealed purpose of God. Chapter 25, verses 27 and 28. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man who played around the tents and stayed mostly there in the camp. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now it's really getting intriguing, isn't it? We've got a theme here for a TV show or something like that, probably. Midday movie. Well, here's the sad thing. Poor old Isaac admired so much the hunting skills of his son, his older son, that he wanted a last meal of his wonderful food before he actually laid his hands on him. In contradiction to what God had told him, he wanted to make him the heir of the promise. Now, it's only when we've appreciated all these points that we're ready for the final scene of this drama that's going on. Genesis 27, Isaac is now old and practically blind, but he's still determined that Esau will have the blessing of the firstborn. In spite of the revealed will of God, he sends Esau off to the bush to hunt, and he hopes that he might have one more taste of what Derek Kidner in his little commentary on uh, Genesis calls Esau's gastronomic masterpiece. And he then intends to bless Esau instead of Jacob in defiance of God's will, as I mentioned. And Rebecca, I don't think this happens in many marriages, but Rebecca actually was listening into the conversation he was having. And she heard what was going to go on, but she didn't want this to happen. And so she quickly substitutes Jacob and so tricks Isaac into believing things God's way after all. But let's be clear about this. The Bible doesn't defend any part of this shady family story. It's an intrigue, really. You know, they're doing their own thing, not uh, letting God run everything and let him work it out. And all four participants are actually guilty of all this. Isaac and Rebecca. Esau and Jacob compromised their own integrity by taking part in it. Isaac, by rebelling against God's revealed will. Esau, by breaking his oath made earlier to Jacob when he sold him his birthright. 
came in from the fields and he was hungry and his brother had made this lovely smelling stew, might have been porridge, I don't know what it was, but he was so starving he was happy to just sell his birthright to his brother to get some food. And um, we find that they're all willing accomplices here. Now, none of these things is defensible, and you and I have no liberty either to resist the will of God in rebellion and try to engineer our own lives or any part of the will of God by deceit. And both these attitudes and actions are incompatible with the simple integrity of faith in God, of trusting him wholeheartedly, of putting our lives into his hands through Jesus by living the Christian way rather than the ways of the world. And uh, it's something that we need to do. All these attitudes and actions that we see in this story are incompatible with the simple integrity of faith. And this is the contrast that we find in the story of Isaac's life because as a young man, Isaac learned that God would always fulfill his promises and does what he says he's going to do. But as an old man, Isaac determined to frustrate the will and promise of God. So he began as a, a man of promise, a child of promise, and ended up as a, an old man of compromise. Two lessons I want us to take away from this tonight. First one is, are you willing, are we all willing, for God to rule us according to his will? You see, every one of us here is a human being just like Isaac, as I said at the beginning. And are we willing, as Isaac was not, to allow God to run our lives, to order our lives, to tell us what we ought to be doing in a way that is pleasing to him and useful in his service? Or are we going to follow the foolish way of Isaac, which is resisting the revealed will of God? You know, is there any one of us here tonight who is foolish to uh, want to take on an argument with God because he's made you who you are when you might look around and think, well, I'd rather be like uh, X, Y, or Z, thank you very much. Or maybe you're arguing with God because you were born with a, a certain disability or you've developed one over the years or perhaps your particular gifts and your personality are, uh, you know, maybe not... You might have done if you happen to be someone else that you know. Or maybe you're stuck here in this particular area where if you had the money, you'd rather be somewhere else, living on a tropical island in the Fiji or somewhere like that. Or maybe you wish that God had sent something of the world's pleasures that you see other people enjoying your way. And sadly, maybe you might be an older person who's been a Christian for many years but now sadly uh, you're starting to uh, resist God's lead and maybe we as parents also and grandparents have a bit of a responsibility as well 
seeking to run our children and grandchildren's lives when maybe we should be letting God do that and them coming to discover what his plan and purpose for them is. You see, all of us, I suspect, are crazy mixed up people like Isaac. We're a strange mixture of creation and of uh, sinful fall, of faithfulness and rebellion against God. And you and I have no doubt some moments of intense spirituality in which we're allowed to glimpse the glory of God and we're moved by that. And we say, yes, God, I will follow you more faithfully day by day. In fact, the rest of my life I will faithfully serve you. But within a few minutes, hours, days, months, years, whatever it is, we've become trapped in the old materialism of life or self-centeredness and we uh, crash in the ruins of compromise of one sort or another. In other words, we're just like Isaac. But there is good news. You see, despite Isaac's compromise, God didn't reject him because God is faithful to his promises. Throughout the rest of the Bible, God styled himself as the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. What condescension from God to do that. Isaac, the mixed-up kid. Isaac, the Jekyll and Hyde. Isaac, the backslider. Isaac, the gourmet who couldn't resist a lovely meal of roast venison or whatever it was that he was going to get. Even Isaac, we discover in the rest of the Bible, will be there with God, his God, hopefully our God. He tried to thwart God's will, but he's nevertheless in the kingdom of God because it's God who is faithful to his promises. But what the faithfulness of God teaches us is that we can't go on sinning with impunity all throughout our lives. Rather, as we've already done tonight, we should repent as Isaac did, as is clear from Genesis 28, that we might be forgiven. Friends, let's remember what our Lord Jesus did as well, took it one step further, when he said that he was going to sit down one day in the heavenly home as those who trust him will do too and we'll be there with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the rest of the crew who have faithfully been called by God into his family as hopefully we have been and have responded to what God's great gift of Jesus by putting our faith and trust in him and with God's help praying that he might keep us faithful to him all our days that we too might share in that great blessing that Jesus has won for us when he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven 
our pioneer and perfecter of faith, as the New Testament calls him, that we will be there too. Not saying to each other, you made it. I never thought... Oh, sorry. Uh, but we will be rejoicing that you and I and everybody else who might be there, that we know, including these guys, are there because of the faithfulness of God and in our age, particularly, the great love of Jesus in giving his life on that cross for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God and pray that you might keep our eyes open to what promises you make and that we might live lives that are in keeping with your promises so that we please you, so that we are useful in your service, so that we stand within our families and our neighbourhoods and wherever we find ourselves through the week as great examples of people who have been brought into your family through Jesus dying in our place. Be with us tonight, loving Father. Help us to reflect upon these things and to really learn the lessons that we need to learn from the failures of others in the past. And thank you that you still are a God who forgives those who repent and turn back to you on your terms. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.